This episode is brought to you by Cleaner Shrimp Dentistry. Cleaner Shrimp Dentistry. You've got the teeth, we've got the reef. This is Wild Green Streams for Ecological Fiends. I'm Rhett. I'm Curtis. I'm Iona. I'm Roy. And with us today is Vikram Baliga of the Planthropology Podcast. Hello. And Ellen and Christian Weatherford of the Just the Zoo of Us Podcast. What a party yeah. this is. I don't think I've ever been on a podcast with this many people at once. No, us this either. Biggest... This feels uh... like a convention. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, the Wild Green Conference <laughs> that only we were invited to. This yeah. is a highly exclusive there's... VIP It's a very event. exclusive conference. Yeah, there's like, a, there's like three quarters of a million people people in this group and it's like nope seven people <laughs> seven <laughs> yeah still have a dope lanyard though yeah so many free pens notepads keychains yeah that's the artist alley that is gonna be off the chain about the wild green dreams podcast is the swag yeah i mean we're 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 in full uh con style we're all we're all cosplaying as well today you can't you can't see us but um I'm in a full pitcher plant costume, complete with a, a little vole using it as a toilet. I'm just like going all out. Mm -hmm. I'm, Mine I'm a is a, a fursuit of a bot fly. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what stage of life bot fly are Larva. you? Larva. Oh of God. Course. The worst one. That's the worst one. Are you, are you, <laughs> wait, wait. What, what mistake here the larva? It's actually a couple's costume where Christian is the host. <laughs> <laughs> so to paraphrase the show community, I can excuse furries, but I draw the line at bot flies. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. the costume is actually the you're right at the stage where you can emerge. So it's also a performance art piece where you as the bot fly emerge into your form. So it's so an interactive experience. That's it what is. they do with their live shows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Live box experience that gives me ideas for other couples' costumes, nature themed couples' costumes. Do you have anglerfish? Oh, yeah, you have, yeah, like, that's yeah, a good yeah, one. Yeah. So, since we're already completely on topic, uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's learn a bit about our guests today. Ellen and Christian, you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your show? Yeah, this is actually a, a pretty rare occurrence that you got Christian as a guest. This is true. <laughs> I mean, for the most exclusive, exclusive Wild Green Streams conference, I mean, we just got the highest ticket guests that we could possibly get, you know. And and Christian is a big get. He doesn't go on anything. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> he don't talk to nobody. <laughs> it, it presents logistical challenges. And then, you know, sort of our fashion, we figured those challenges out in the past 10 minutes. So. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> That's how we do things here, too. But we uh, our, our voices may sound a little weird because we're recording in the same room side by side together, because as you may have noticed from our sharing a last name, we are married folks. Mm -hmm. And we do a podcast together called Just the Zoo of Us, which is a podcast where we review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories. And it's really fun. We alternate between doing episodes together where Christian and I each pick an animal and do our own ratings. And then I talk with guests who come on and give sort of the more, the expertise, like the actual more nuanced opinions that are usually rooted in some more hands-on out in real life experience. Vikram's been on my show, I think my show once, I've been on Vikram's show a couple times now. A couple times, so. yep. Yeah, so I'm always having, having expert folks on and talking about animals. It's a really good time. 
and Vikram is a little exception for the show, I would expect, because Vikram is an expert on plants. Every now and then, Ellen's like, I need something real boring for the show, so let's talk about plants. <laughs> <laughs> We've just had too many good guests. No, I, I need so to I, throw a bone to the people that listen to the podcast to fall asleep to. Like, yeah. I need to give them a softball. Oh, it's like, it's, it's kind of like ASMR, but not in a good way. <laughs> people, who listen to, people who listen to your plant episodes, though, to try to fall asleep probably have like horrifying nightmares because we Horry. talk about such awful, terrible things I'm like eating people and stuff. Like if you were tiny, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Wait, uh, <laughs> go on. Is, is that my introduction? I think that's my introduction. Like, here's this guy and he sucks at podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> no, Vic- Vikram is also a great podcaster. What is your show about? So I've got a show called Planthropology, and uh, I talk to uh, people in the sort of green science space. So plant people, water people, which I think are called mermaids. People that Sirens. Live- Sirens, yeah. yeah. Uh, actual fish. I interview people in the plant sciences. I talk about different plant things. I've gotten to be on this show a couple of times talking about petunias and everything turning into cabbage or crabs i think that those have been yeah. our past episodes yeah well, vikram's almost on our show for some reason you always wind up coming on for convergent evolution things <laughs> like that's yeah. what we wind up having you on for and then the other thing concerning you is that you're properly dr vikram baliga and and what is it that you study and how does that all go so i study uh, i'm a horticulturist so i have a phd in horticulture i study like urban water conservation and small acreage food production those kinds of things good water plants and I just, you know, nerd out about that a lot. A TikTok menace also. A menace. Oh, yes. TikTok yes, menace. I am. <laughs> that is correct. On TikTok, you're a big fan of people using really amazing and completely reliable life hacks and involving, often involving bananas. Usually bananas. Yes. Usually yeah. a big fan. I really enjoy it. You know, I want to, I, part of me likes to think there's like a group of five minute crafts people that's like plotting my death out there somewhere <laughs> <laughs> in a really weird way. Like using bananas, probably. Yeah, well, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, the good news is the five minute crafts tries to do it it'll never actually work in real life so yeah <laughs> what, uh, it'll take way longer than five minutes anyway so you'll have plenty of time what's, to run. what's a little great on camera though yeah. what's an example of a banana life hack that you have terrorized i guess that you that you've corrected <laughs> so my favorite one to yell about is is banana water where they're like we're gonna put this banana peel in water and we're going to let it sit for 15 minutes and then it's going to solve all of your plant problems. The plant problem it solves is not having gnats. That's how you get gnats. It's a gnat farm. Do you not have enough gnats? We're going to teach you how to solve that. It's not a plant life hack at all. It's an insect life hack. We were just just talking before, we were chatting a little bit before you guys came on about uh, Venus flytraps. And like, if you got a Venus flytrap to eat all the, like, if you had a fruit fly infestation to eat all of them. And then it's like, all the fruit flies are gone. It's like, oh no, like, what am I going to feed my Venus flytrap? (laughs) This will be the perfect trick. You will far more gnats to feed your Venus flytrap. It's a great hack. It's perfect. The problem here is it takes like several days, if not a week for them to reopen. So you're going to get gnats at a rate that the Venus flytrap can't keep up. So then you get, you just stagger your Venus flytraps. So then like mm. one eats, it's like, you like, if you like sing in a round, it's like your Venus flytraps are eating them in a round. <laughs> if you I look at it over the course. Maybe five minute crafts was just like, the account is run by a bunch of gnats in a trench coat. 
In, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you look at it over the course of a year, you average out to an acceptable number of gnats in your house. <laughs> You're playing the long game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Thanks. Ellen and Christian, what are how do you rate things? Like what are the axes that you rate organisms on? <laughs> So we do effectiveness, which is how well the animal is physically adapted to like do the things it's trying to do. So maybe if it's like a predatory animal, it's maybe like tools that it has to catch its prey, or if it's a prey animal, ways that it can evade becoming prey, things like that. And then there's ingenuity, which is behavior. So like clever ways the animal is like solving problems that it faces in its life. And then probably my favorite category is aesthetics, which is just pure vibes. It's just how nice mm -hmm. the animal is to look at personally the vibe check yeah it's pure just it's, it's from the hip it's all very scientific it's extremely rigorous <laughs> peer-reviewed uh, i mean i did see a tweet or something which is you know the most official source it said like the most official unit of measurement is just eyeballing it so you know <laughs> you guys are right up there scientific I'm a, integrity i'm a scientist and i can say is like uh, you just look at things and then you say what the thing is that you're looking at and that's it that's science like I wish it was still because I we've had to go back and read like papers from like you know the 50s 60s 70s to try to get information about some of these animals and so many of these papers are just based on like this is a thing I saw once it's like one time I saw this bird eating a frog there you go we'll put this in the journal <laughs> Yeah. Why don't you go back further? I was uh, I was listening to your episode about the marine iguanas. <laughs> oh, Charles Darwin was just was just eating green iguanas into the ocean to study whether or not why they wasn't it marine said, iguanas? What did I say? Mm -hmm. Green marine. Oh uh, uh -huh. yeah, word uh, rhyme. And you also talked about green iguanas. So and, and we've been talking about green things. I mean, marine that is iguanas, very funny to imagine. He saw a marine iguana and then was like, hmm, all iguanas must do this, and then just start throwing <laughs> green iguanas into the ocean. Like Charles Darwin, no. No, Chuck, stop. We made a mistake. Please. He's using this like heads up display comes on that's like iguana detected, throw in water. Like he, he goes like sleeper agent. He was he the was man who's become a maniac. He was doing the Lamar. Lamarckian speed run. <laughs> <laughs> That's when he got exactly. suspicious. He's like, hmm, they don't <laughs> seem to be getting better at swimming. <laughs> hold on. But it's hold like, on. none of this adds up. But then you read his writing on marine iguanas, and he was like, mm -hmm. man, these, these guys are fugly as hell. Like, this oh, is like, he's like, like, like the lowest form of life. I don't, I don't get them. I, I'm just going to check them in the ocean, see what happens. Like, like, marine sorry, iguanas sorry, are Chuck. fugly sluts. Don't trust yeah. them. Don't trust <laughs> them. I'm sorry they're not as pretty as your barnacles or whatever. These are direct quotes. No joke. Hideous looking, <laughs> most disgusting, clumsy lizards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, beautifully same. Written, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, an expertly crafted roast. Yeah, right about everything. <laughs> It's, we explained everything yeah. but why Charles Darwin was literally chucking sea creatures into the ocean. Just just for the vibes, again. <laughs> no science, only vibes. That's to how him, they did everything on those check. three variables, and he was just doing it for vibes. Yeah. I feel like I, mean, I, mean, I, have two, I have two sons, and it is incredibly on brand for, like, a boy to just show up on an island unsupervised and be like, what can I throw into the ocean? <laughs> like, how can I, mean, I get this into the water immediately? Mm -hmm. The actual exactly. reasoning was 
or the not reasoning because that's this is like defies reason to be like hey that thing goes in the water what happens if i throw it in the water <laughs> but, but if i'm remembering correctly from your episode the actual reason was the actual experiment if i if we can call it that yeah we'll call it that, was that <laughs> there was no control group here <laughs> was that he was testing the fact that they actually didn't like being in the ocean because there weren't predators on land but there were predators in the ocean right Right. So he noticed after chasing them, they wouldn't run into the water. They would just kind of right. stand at the edge of a cliff or something. And just, well, what happens next? <laughs> because they also, know, like, whatever's in the water is going to be a much bigger threat to them. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, Bull Shark or Charles Darwin. I think I have yeah. a better chance fighting Charles Darwin. Bull Shark or Bully. <laughs> I'll take yeah. my chances. Would you rather but, fight but also, Yeah, but also we know that, like, there are predators on. You have those like uh, Galapagos racers, those racer snakes, mm-hmm. and we like chase after them once they yeah, we'll chase after them after they hatch. And you have to be like, all right, we have to book it, and we have to book it into the ocean. Greatest, greatest moment in nature documentary. History. Yeah, that's like I was about to the... say that might actually be the greatest sequence ever filmed in nature mm-hmm. documentaries. Like if one Emmy. Yeah, I'm gonna take it a step further. The greatest sequence ever filmed. <laughs> Yeah, hard agree. Imagine like you're a little baby marine iguana and you make it through that absolutely harrowing experience of having to run for your absolute life. And you make it through a field of literal snakes to survive hatching and making it to the ocean. And then you get thrown off a cliff by Charles Darwin. (laughs) (laughs) You've gone through so much. And then just when you thought you were safe, some dude. You get thrown into the ocean by a, by a, by a nepo baby, by a nepotism baby. Just like just standing there, you're like, oh, come on. It's like that. It's like that Lion King part edit that like been jiffed to death of Rafiki just chucking Simba <laughs> off of Pride Rock. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Would you rather fight yeah. 10 bull sharks or 100 Charles Darwins? <laughs> and does that answer change if you're an iguana? <laughs> what, what year am I fighting Charles in? Right. Yeah. Are we fighting on land or in the water? Because I will take 10 bull sharks on land. Are <laughs> an exercised 1830s Charles Darwin or like 1860 I'm, Charles Darwin? Are we talking, are I mean, we talking long beard or mutton chops? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely mutton chops. <laughs> Um, Always let's, default to mutton chops. Yeah, let, let's be real. Like Charles Darwin, Chuck was like a sickly, sickly man. Like he didn't become a doctor because he he got, he got squeamish at the sight of blood. And like when he was on the Beagle, he kept getting sick. He kept getting seasick while he was on the ship and everything. I don't know. You I know think what? I take him He's on. valid. But he, he uh, didn't yeah. have to take it out in the iguanas. He's Sometimes like, if I can't be in the sea, you have to. Exactly. <laughs> you think he ain't no, got hands no. though? Normalized tummy aches. I'll show them the, the origin <laughs> exactly. of these. You know hands. who I know ain't got hands is a bull shark. So that's a pretty good yeah. argument. I mean, how long did it take him to write that book? You know. Meanwhile, like Alfred Russell Wallace is out in like Sulawesi or whatever. You know, like oh, I get it, and like writes a single page. Gets one fever, and figures it out. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh yeah, I figured it out. And he writes like a one page letter, and he's like, hey, Chuck, here's the, I figured it out. Here's the deal. And like he just like, oh no. I can't, I can't publish this. This, this, book, this book I've been sitting on for 20 it's like years. A, it's, like, it. it's like that tweet that uh, rap battles are just grown men writing uh, poems at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. I was, I was thinking of like a feral, a young feral, Alfred, Alfred Russell Wallace in Indonesia and an older, like more domesticated Charles Darwin up in his like little villa in, like, villa in England. 
I mean, no, what, like what is more relatable than sitting on a project for 20 years and the only exactly. thing that finally kicks you into gear is someone else like rushing to publish <laughs> exactly. it? Like you could have done this 20 years ago and like you you like need the fire lit under your ass to like get it done. Like I get exactly. it. I also exactly. thrive on deadlines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen the man's uh, writing on feeling very stupid and very poorly and hating everything and everyone. I love that. And I love that. Really like, oh my God, the man had so bars great. for sure. Yeah. But also I feel like most of his beef was directed inward, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this guy was fighting himself. Yeah. Well, also it's like his dad, like because his family, like he came from a lineage of like scientists, like his grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, was one of the OG like evolutionary science people. Like with like, like before Lamarck, even like he, he put in a lot of the ideas and his dad was like a famous doctor. Like he was a famous English doctor. And like Darwin was like, oh, I'm going to be like a doctor, like my dad or a scientist, like my grandfather. And that didn't happen. And his dad was like, what a fucking disappointment. I'm going to put you on this fucking boat. Yeah, get on this fucking boat. I'll figure out what you want to do in your fucking life. And <laughs> I, that's probably part of it. <laughs> So Vikram, in the world in general, and also in this episode so far, there's a heavy bias towards talking about animals. Yeah. So what is a pitch for plants? And then also what's a cool plant that we should talk about? Oh, pitcher plant and the related shrews. I mean, I'm looking right at Curtis. He's really impressive, man. <laughs> Something. I, so there are plants that can literally die for years and then it rains and they're just like, nah, fine. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Listen, we've I, all had a dramatic episode. <laughs> <laughs> the house plant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we've all, it's like, I think if it's more or less impressive, like a toad or something that hangs out in the soil for a while and it rains and it pops up and I'm like, yeah, I can still hop and things like that. Or a cicada that comes out every couple of decades to scream. But no, so I, one of my plants that I think is very cool and that makes the case that plants are equally cool almost as cool something uh, is the resurrection plant it's uh i'm gonna definitely pronounce this name wrong selaginella lepidophila cool i feel and, so validated that you also have no idea how to pronounce scientific oh <laughs> no do you know times i've accidentally summoned a demon trying to teach like i know it class happens all the all time, time. Oh. it's really I love, annoying I i'm i'm watching like a nature doctor documentary and I hear somebody pronounce a dinosaur that I've like known about since I was five years old. And I'm like, that's how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> that's me watching the Pokemon anime. And every time they say a Pokemon, I'm like, oh, no, not again. Saying you're wrong this whole time. <laughs> Even the way people say Pokemon is different from how I said it naturally. Like I always pronounced it Pokemon. Like me yeah, too. I say Pokemon. Like you're poking things. But yes, the resurrection. It's a accent. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, we're talking about plants. Okay, so this plant, it's this weird looking little feathery leaf plant. It's actually, the name Lepidophylla actually means scale leaf. Like a Lepidopteran is, you know, a scale wing. It's a weird mashup of Greek and Latin, like our good friend Linnaeus loved to do. And it can, essentially, it when it gets dry, it lives in the desert. It folds up into a crunchy looking brown ball and it just hangs out and it just Oh, I've raised one of these. They sell them, they call them dinosaur plants for, for yeah. kids and they sell them in like science kits. Yeah, they're really cool. And then another name is the false rose of Jericho. Rose of Jericho is a similar plant that when you put water on it, it sort of unfolds, but that one never like completely desiccates. Like the resurrection plant can get, I think they said like between 95 and 99% like water loss, like Whoa. no water left in them. Wow. And it'll sit there for, I've seen estimates up to 15 or 20 years wow. uh, waiting for enough water. And then 
you stick it in water and in like three hours, it unfolds, it, it rehydrates. And then in a couple of days, it pulls, it starts producing chlorophyll again, it'll start flowering, and then it'll go for a few months until it dries out too much and it closes up again. And they only get like five centimeters tall by maybe 15, 20 centimeters wide, just this little mat of mostly dead stuff. And then every now and then it's like, just kidding. I was only mostly dead. They're really cool. And they'll do it over and over again. They live in just incredibly harsh climates. And uh, if plants do one thing well, it's to be confusing and to survive incredibly <laughs> weird situations. I feel That's... like if plants do one thing well, it's either dying from like just being like put in a room that's one degree colder <laughs> or like lasting until the heat death of the universe. Yeah. yeah. Look, looking at you, fiddle leaf fig, you look mm -hmm. at them weird and all the leaves fell off. I so, also, one of the other plants that I like, it's the resurrection fern, which we have a lot yeah. in like the Southeast, which yeah. I like because it's cute and fun. And like, you'll see it, like I'll be walking around and we haven't had any rain for a while. And it's like all like brown and really dark. And then like we get a big rain and then the next day it's just like super green and leafy. But I also love it because the name of it, which I could be butchering the lot. We'll see if a demon appears in my room <laughs> is Pleopeltis polypoidioides, which is just like <laughs> such a fun word to Poidioides. say. Polypoidoides. It's like somebody was challenged to put as many peas in, in a binomial as possible. And they're yeah. like, oh, I, I, got I got this. Just like more oidioides at the end of Latin names. I don't know what it means, but it sounds fantastic. And they so, were coming up with it and tripped and fell down the stairs in the middle of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's your the, phone adds the extra clause to your word you're trying to put in, and you're just like, yeah, it looks the, fine. The, the resurrection fern was written by Doodle Bob from that SpongeBob episode. <laughs> Exactly. And then you like tongue twister like Polly picked a pack of uh pleopeltis polypoidioides. Yeah. <laughs> well, I associate resurrection ferns with growing in like the on top of the branches of southern live oak trees. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. those things can get massive. So good luck picking a peck of those because they're, they're like 30 feet up off the ground. You gotta be really determined. I have never have been clear <laughs> on how much a peck is. I, I you know, I it's think it's either greater than or less than a bushel. Ah, uh, yes. Those are the options. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it could be equal um, to how, a bushel also. How many no, is that? <laughs> how many blue whales? How many blue whales? How many would, football football fields? What in Ellen, I think and, a, and, and, a metric you should add to your show is how big the animal is in like either bananas or washing machines. Well, mm -hmm. we used to do chickens. We did chickens for oh, a long time. Good we used to measure yeah. things yeah. like the sizes of things in chickens. And then I forgot to do it for a while. And then it just kind of like will pop up every once in a while. Yeah, every once in a while sure. we'll talk about something that is of the magnitude of a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I was describing, I have a friend who was asking um, how big a woodcock was. And I said it was about the size of a grapefruit, like a big grapefruit mm -hmm. so just who needs standard units of measurements just the closest thing you've got that's, there that's why yeah. we've been fighting the metric system so hard is that the meat of bird it's the, the yeah, units the one of eyeballing it yeah that one yeah, yeah. he's got eyeball it yeah i just looked up what a peck is it's english so that's how, uh, you, that's how you know it yeah but uh it's, it's more than i thought it's 14 pounds oh you, know, huh. you know how much a bushel is a lot it's a volume <laughs> right it depends, right? It, it depends on what you're when you're picking. Like if a bushel of apples is forty five pounds. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So you gotta, you know. That's still a lot of apples. This is a really dead. I think like, you got that many apples. I think a peck. I looked it up. It says a peck is about eight quarts, but this also says like just over two gallons. This says eight dry quarts. Um, dry quarts. 
as opposed to wet quarts, I guess. Um, like, oh, give me a dry quart of milk. Give me a dry quart of milk. <laughs> I'm unclear about if it's a, a measure of uh, weight or if it's a measure of volume. This yes. is this says a peck of time. Two, I have a dry peck of water. Yeah, two Try gallons of water. apples, I ten to twelve pounds. I own it. Are you sure it says quart or cork? Maybe you're reading cork. Maybe it's oh. corks. That's what I get. Yeah. That's what I messed so up. It's much smaller, much smaller than you think. Much yeah, much smaller. <laughs> easy, super easy to pick a peck of those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> easy peasy. What, or, so or with or the resurrection harder. plant rather than the fern, do their roots retain water over time or does the entire plant just totally desiccate? So their roots do retain a little bit of water. They've got special scaly structures on their leaves that just kind of shut down. So they curl up, they sort of circle the wagons. Um, The roots will retain a little bit of water and some special structures that are uh, unique. Essentially, they have sort of a sugar-rich compound that they deposit in the cells. And one of the things that kills plants so quickly when they start to desiccate is salt accumulation. As water like about salt deposits build up in the cells, which dries them out further and the problem just gets worse and worse. So they have a, a special compound in their cells that resists salt accumulation. It keeps the salt out. So they can just kind of stay in place with this special like sugary gel-like substance for years and years and years. And it's thought that they can resist fires. They can resist even some grazing and all kinds of just crazy things um, just by concentrating all these sugars and things in the roots and in the, the crown of the plant where it meets and then it rains again and they're like yeah here we are we're good to go let's do the thing i love that it's incredible i bet when the rains finally come again that plant has so many apology emails to send out yeah (laughs) spend a couple weeks like hey listen (laughs) sorry i was having a really hard time i was was desiccated for the last 15 years (laughs) basically Took a real long nap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I just saw know, this. <laughs> does anyone here know what tardigrades use when they desiccate? Like, do they have a similar process they undergo? or is it- I did look up they can lose up to 97% of water, but I don't know anything about the uh, biomechanics going on. Right. We should interview a tardigrade and ask them. Wood frogs are nuts. I love wood frogs. I thought you were going to say a tardigrade expert, Iona, but I like going straight to the source. Yeah, I wanted straight from the tardigrade's mouth, you know? Well, the the biggest part that's going to be very difficult is first we need to figure out how to engineer a microscopic microphone or micro microphone, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) That's really the only thing that's That's been holding us back from talking to tardigrades. Fair. Although I did see, I don't remember, this was like a few years ago that researchers had made an incredibly minute telephone and they used it to, a microphone, and they used it to, (laughs) they called them, and they used it to record uh, snails. But the thing is, the snails sounded to me anyway, exactly how I would expect, which is just kind of like a... (laughs) 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 <laughs> there are like ASMR videos on YouTube of uh, snails crunching on like lettuce and Ooh, like interesting. vegetation and fruit and stuff. And it's, I mean, it's what you would think. It's like a, like a kind of sound. Yeah. I like what things like sound exactly. I like when things sound exactly like what you think they're going to sound yeah. like. Because also <laughs> so many things sound absolutely nothing. Like you think they would sound nothing. like. nothing. Yeah. Like you've ever um, heard a bobcat? Oh my gosh, it's like a, it sounds Horrible. like a person screaming and you're like, are you okay? And they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. just like doing bobcat things or like foxes, just like, or like funky Koalas. birds. Yeah. Koalas, I think, are the worst offender. 
Yeah. What yeah. Sound like? yeah. It sounds like a. a, a uh, I seem to have forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> what is a call? It is not. Like? It's, it's like, a, like it's a, like a guttural war cry. Yeah, it sounds like a, a gorilla ogre <laughs> troll that's like also being inflated with air <laughs> and then like hitting the stomach with a sledgehammer. I mean, you're eating <laughs> very no specific for when I'm editing this, putting I mean, the sound of a koala. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. See how close Curtis was? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Vote I mean, in the comments if you think Curtis described it well enough or not. I, I mean, they're eating eucalyptus leaves all day. They're sleeping all the time. They're probably not getting a lot of workout. Like, I imagine they have a lot of gas, you know, eating all those leaves. They sound like, like me trying to get out of a recliner. <laughs> 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 Yeah. You know what also, animal sounds absolutely nothing like I would have ever imagined it sounded is a manatee. They squeak like a mouse. Sound nothing I've like never, a sweet potato. I don't know if I've ever heard like, them squeak. Oh, but I've also I also don't know if I've ever been like close enough to one while it was out of the water. I had the opportunity to um, in Florida the USGS does these manatee health checks every year where they as the, when the it gets colder in the winter the the water in the spring stays the same temperature so the manatees don't actually have a lot of blubber they're just like full of gas so they don't really like the cold weather <laughs> so they go into the springs that are the constant temperature and so they're warmer and so they're able to like catch them to assess them to do some health checks and so I got to help out on one of those days and like for all of the manatees that were there i don't think any of them made any noise at least not when i was there but i mean i believe you Rhett. i'm just like (laughs) sad that i didn't get to hear it (laughs) i I think that it might be a product of being underwater partly like either Mm. the water makes it sound that way or it's a uh, good thing yeah yeah, yeah, or it travels better, you know, so they optimize for that. But mm-hmm. it, it, it literally, it's just up like a, like, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> a hiccup. That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't red. That was the manatee recording. Yeah, that was the real one. <laughs> yeah. my, uh, my favorite animals that don't sound like what you think they would sound like are rhinos and porcupines. Yeah. Rhinos sound amazing. like almost like what you described the manatee as. It's just like this high pitch. You know, um, thing. close to where then- we live uh, in northern Florida, there is a conservation center called White Oak Conservation Center, and they have a bunch of rhinos mm-hmm. there. And I read that you you may need to help me out with this. They used the sounds that, that like cinematographers for was it Game of Thrones or was it Star Wars? It might have been. I think it was Game of Thrones. Maybe, yeah. Uh, they went to White Oak and took a bunch of recordings of the bunch of, of like the rhinos and all the different animals that live there and used those recordings to make the sounds of the, I think it was the dragons in Game of Thrones. That That's is so really cool. cool. That's cool. Yeah. And it's like really close to where we live, <laughs> which is really cool. I can't believe you guys live near celebrities who they have been in some fa- famous TV shows. Yeah. I know. Who's your favorite act, voice actor? It's the <laughs> rhino at White Oak. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that it was credit. The, yeah. It was either the dragon from Game of Thrones, or I think it was maybe like a Star War that possibly that it was in. I mean, for some of those fantasy characters, it's really like the animals it's really interesting to to like if there's any i love watching the behinds of scenes of things and so whenever they talk about how they make those creature sounds that some of the, they like a lot of times layer them so they're like this is like a bear and also like an alligator and also like some weird bird and they all like threw it together to create <laughs> it's, like it's not just the creatures too the fantasy the, animal here the tie fighters and star wars if you can picture that scream that's an elephant put yeah. out like a really bizarre pitch really oh yeah. is it really that's cool mm-hmm. <sighs> that's cool 
Sounds are weird. <laughs> also, if anyone is interested, it turns out, according to a two-second Google search, tardigrades can desiccate because of some funky folded proteins that they have. Oh, Don't know okay. how, you know, but Iona. that's what they said. Mm-hmm. Iona, do you know what those proteins are called? Mm-hmm. Are Sonic called... Hedgehog? No, no, no. They... Not Sonic Hedgehog. That's a different thing. My favorite. But no. That is a real no. protein, though. Yeah. These are, it's, it's a group of proteins that are referred to as tardigrade disordered proteins that's what it said tdps tdps yeah exactly so i was gonna ask you if there are any plants that make sounds so sort of they there was a video going around on tiktok or something a while back where someone was like filming a a bed of succulents after a rain and it just sounded like high-pitched screaming it just Uh it was like and that was mostly like air coming out of the soil but there is a thought that when some plants are damaged like they're they're uh, uh, attacked by a herbivore or something like that they keep trying to like transpire and move water through the system and essentially air just starts coming out Mm. all the little cut veins in the leaves is a thought that there are some ultrasonic sounds that come out that other plants might be able to detect in certain ways and trigger defense responses like we know they do that with like volatile organic compounds and stuff when they're being predated on they put stuff in the air and other plants start like they have receptors for that that start sort of preparing themselves to be attacked by something we know they can kind of see each other through green light receptors on the leaves so they know where other plants are so they don't grow into them as much especially big species of trees and there are some thoughts that they may be able to hear like they can hear a bumblebee coming and depending on the type of bee approaching they will release different amounts of nectar uh, based on the huh. buzz pattern. And so Aww. they do have some kind of detector for vibrations. So plant communication is a whole other super wild thing that will like make you worry a little bit if you think too much about it. Like they're talking <laughs> about us and we don't know what they're saying and there's no way for us to know what they're saying. Man, I thought I uh, heard some whispers at night, but no one was here, but it must've been all the plants on my windowsill to saying mean things about me. Like you don't you water sleep. us enough. <laughs> I like this idea of plants talking because it also invites the possibility of awkward plants like plants that like can't read social cues correctly like they're listening to like certain bees and they're like oh i gotta produce this nectar and it's the wrong type i was like oh no what have i done i'm so embarrassed sorry can i just take that back please i mean plants talk i've seen little shop of horrors yeah that's what they're all saying all the time they all say phoebe seymour and it's real weird we don't nobody knows why i've seen that harley quinn show i know how plants are (laughs) exactly yeah it's always the venus fly traps that talk that's very comforting it's always the venus fly it's always trees or venus fly traps that talk in cartoons name one other or not even cartoons but just in fiction name a fictional plant character that can talk that is not a venus flytrap or a tree Larry, that one cucumber. that one tree from pocahontas true veggie oh, tales, true. <laughs> tales <laughs> out of the water there's which there, again vegetable i've yeah. said this before but most of the most of the characters in veggie tales are actually fruits but fruity tales would not have played well with the tar- target demographic <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what the next Wild Green Memes venture is to make an animated show where the characters talk, but the characters are only plants. And but and none of them, also like all the characters talk except not the trees and not Venus flytraps. So it's like the grasses, the shrubs, you know, Grass mosses. thing talk is a terrifying idea to me. There's just I mean, so much of it. Yeah. And also like you ever been into like a field with like really tall grass and it's windy and it sounds like shh. They're all whispering. They're actually they're whispering. whispering. They're gossiping. Yeah. They're, goss- they're gossiping about lawns. 
Mm-hmm. Like, look at this grass. So and so mows their lawn three times a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the well, Venus flytrap, there's a very clear place on the Venus flytrap where the something analogous to a mouth would be. Yes. So, like, yeah. that gives you an in if you're animating them, right? True. Like, they already have something that looks like a mouth. It's pretty easy to animate that in a way that looks like talking. If you're trying to animate, like, grass, like, what part is going to move to make the words? It's <laughs> They actually just have uh, their mouths are actually all the stomata that the plants have. <laughs> so they just have, like, yeah. a terrifying amount of, like, little tiny mouths covering A biblically accurate grass. Yeah. A biblically <laughs> accurate grass. Not exactly. afraid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, you just do what like Pokemon do, and you just like draw an eyes and a mouth on a thing, and you're like, yeah, it works. Yeah, it turns that's out no, one, no one's gonna question this. No one's gonna question don't think this. Too much about like, it. That's an ice yeah, cream cone. How is that alive? <laughs> uh, don't, don't question. Don't, don't talk about that. Don't worry about it. We don't think about that in Pokemon. Pokemon. Mm-hmm. No question. No question. Yeah. Hey, so, you have all those talking Pokemon. So, uh, actually, a question Iona came up with. Wait, Iona, do you want to ask the question you came up with? I would love to ask the question that I came up with, Rhett. Thank you. I was going to ask, is there anything that you have discovered in your podcasting career that you have learned that you did not expect to learn? Because like you might go into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to like learn how to like, you know, put like cool audio things together. And it's like, oh, I just learned how to like scrub background audio of like background <laughs> sounds like super efficiently or like either about the process of making podcasts or about the content that you've made or so anything that you learned that you're like, oh, I I didn't think that this would be knowledge that I now have when you were going into it. Ellen, y'all go first. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, okay. So, you know, we came into this with literally no media creation experience, you know, like literally just bought some microphones off Amazon and hit record and to see what would happen. So like a lot of this has been learning on the fly, (laughs) you know, learning how to create like room acoustics, like learning how to sort of treat the room for better acoustics has Mm. been uh, somewhat challenging, Mm -hmm. you know, recording it. Something that I think, because I do the editing for the podcast and something that has been a really a real learning process over time has been learning how much and how little to edit because I do things like take out fillers and take out like pauses or you know like false starts and sentences so I edit kind of aggressively but then I've also had to learn over time how much is too much editing like how much is makes it sound over edited and robotic and not flow naturally so like finding a middle ground between like polishing it but not making it sound too polished that has been something kind of like on the technical end of things as far as like things we've actually learned i learn something new every single episode that we do there's not a single episode that we make that i'm not like holy shit what (laughs) it's like every episode we learn something but like content wise but technically i think it's just been like how much of the editing process is things that can't necessarily be taught like you have to just kind of get a feel for it you have to be like how much of this pause do i want to leave in like how much of this how much filler do i want to leave in and how much can I take out and I don't know things like that like just give thinking very analytically about what you're taking in and what you're leaving in Mm -hmm. yeah that's cool and makes sense like I didn't realize that people this may should have occurred to me like you know before we started the podcast I didn't think people edited podcasts at all I thought they just like because it sounded great and I couldn't see any edits like with you're like watching Mm. a tv show you can see the edits and you can see the cuts so like I was just like it just to me sounded like one clean audio but then we I was like I heard and on some podcast they were talking about how they edited it and I was like oh wait that like makes sense of course that you <laughs> would edit it <laughs> but for a long time I was just like oh my gosh they just like talk and sound perfect nope there's a lot of work that goes into that on the back end 
And I, I think that is what makes thing. like it makes it sound so deceptively easy mm-hmm. because when people don't see that side of like how much you're editing, they might think, oh, you just hit record and talk and that's it. That's making the podcast. But they don't see all of the work that goes in behind the scenes to make it sound good. So I think like when we started, you know, we'd been listening to professionally produced podcasts forever and they sounded fantastic and sounded so effortless. And then when we made it ourselves, I was like, why does mine sound so bad? <laughs> yeah. I, I oh wait, that, they have people that, that this is their job. After yeah. doing this for a couple of years and editing uh, for mostly the same people uh, over time, I can tell visually i can see what an um looks like for mm-hmm. curtis versus leroy versus me versus iona <laughs> on the the track when i'm at it like i'll just zoom to that and cut it out and i'll be like yep that was one <laughs> <laughs> oh that's cool that's fun but Vikram, how about you so i have learned that i there are a few things i realized i would hate like how do i say this i did not realize how much i would hate trying to write show notes for an episode I, I, it's my like I hate it I sit down and like I've recorded the episode I've edited it I've gotten it posted and then I'm like oh I have to say like more words about this what do I say about this like I just talked to this person for an hour and a half how do, how do I summarize this in like yeah. four sentences so that someone reads that and I'm like yeah I'll listen you know I don't know I, I hate writing show notes but also I think one thing that I realized is how much of the process of putting out a podcast is like clerical kind of stuff. That's maybe not the right word, but like scheduling and putting together an episode and finding time to record. It's like the doing it part of it. Like I love interviewing people. I I even kind of enjoy the editing because I forget things about the episode after we've recorded and I sort of get to pull cool things out of it again and learn a lot. But just sort of the administrative side of putting out something for years and years and trying to figure out where you're going to go. Because I think you don't just tell a story within like a single episode. You sort of tell a story with the whole body of work and the whole show and how to like make that make sense. Something that I didn't anticipate having to like really think about. From the subject matter side, I interviewed a guest early on, like two, two and a half years ago. In fact, I yesterday had the like third anniversary of the show. And so Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Thank you. I appreciate it. Like seeing how far it's come is crazy. But one of my early guests uh, is a friend of mine who right now is studying like mixed lawns, like clover lawns and having pollinator plants and species diversity and stuff in place of like monoculture lawns. But her master's degree was in invasive worms like crazy worms or something. Mm -hmm. And I like had no concept of that as a thing. She was like, oh yeah, no, these worms are terrible. I'm like, what is that? Like they're earthworms. Aren't all earthworms good? She's like, oh no, they- Classic horticulturalist. Oh oh, yeah, I had no idea. (laughs) They they eat the dirt and they make, they don't eat, but you know, they eat the plant material, they make the poop, the dirt gets better or whatever. But then like she went on this whole thing and taught me about like invasive worms and having to do like worm control in the soil and in the landscape. And that for one just blew my mind. Like that was Vikram. It's a very specific thing, but Vikram, I'd like to to read you a meme that was on our page during the uh the kind of initial. I mean, it's never ending trend of would you still love me if I were a worm? <laughs> and it said got a map of the native or the invasive earthworm range in the U.S. and Canada, and uh, I guess part of Mexico too. And it says PSA: if you were an earthworm outside of your native range, I would find it a little harder to love you. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, would you still love me if I was a worm? 
That was a long pause. That's, that was well, lengthy. Has he said talking about the uh, the invasive ones? I was thinking of the the hammerhead worm that oh. we see sometimes. Oh, those all are my crazy. Hammerhead yeah. Worms. yeah. Yeah. So you, you would. You not didn't love answer the question. Was a hammerhead. That was a tactical, <laughs> excellent tactical diversion. Dodge. Yeah. yeah. It was a very well planned dodge until it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hearing a no. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, native species mm. are important. Okay. All right. We're not gonna. <laughs> We're getting nothing out of this man. Would you love so, me if I was an earthworm? Yes. Okay. Thank you. That's all I wanted. There we go. Crisis averted. We need that sealum. We need that pseudo sealum. So one thing that it was a meme actually, but something that I generally agree with in life after having read it is that it's pretty fun to talk to kids versus adults because adults never ask you what your third favorite dinosaur is. <laughs> and we, we've asked this question in the past on the podcast, but I'd like to ask uh, Vikram, what's your third favorite plant? And Ellen and Christian, what's your third favorite animal? My third favorite. Uh. <laughs> Do you want me to skip the first two and only give you the third? Oh, whatever's yeah. most natural. <laughs> Luckily, we did a bonus episode not too long ago, a Max Fun Drive bonus episode where we had we had to come up with a tournament of our favorite That's animal. True. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember what our finalists were for that. Oh, y'all came prepared. Um, That's perfect. <laughs> I think my top three, for me, I think I ended up with the capybara as my final contender, right? Mm, I think so. And mine was the manta ray. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say that the capybara is my favorite animal because that just doesn't feel right. It's a great animal, but I don't know if I would say it's my favorite animal. Hmm. Usually my go-to favorite animal is the pangolin. Pangolin is usually number one. Good choice. It's a solid choice. I'm going to leave it where it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it at its number one spot. Number two, I think, is usually probably bearded vulture. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent. Solid. So yeah. the the coveted number three position might be the scaly foot snail. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wait, I don't know about those. Tell, tell us it's, more it's, about that. It's the closest thing we have to a dragon. <laughs> it's it's a, So if, you, if you've played Pokemon, uh, it's very similar to Magcargo. Um, in the sense that it is a snail that lives in hydrothermal vents uh, in the Indian Ocean. And because of all the iron sulfide in the water around it, their body can like synthesize the iron and attach it to its own body. So the snail's like foot is covered in these iron scales, like like dragon scales. Whatever you're picturing it looking like, somehow it's worse. <laughs> like it's so, almost the paler ones almost have the texture of fingernails and i'm not okay with that yeah, god kinda, wow that is incredible yeah but it's a really cool animal but so what i think is like the funniest about that is that okay so it's like a snail it's like a volcano snail covered in iron and then you look at the pokemon mag cargo which is a volcano snail covered in iron like it's exactly the same thing and you're like okay may- they must have designed the pokemon based on the scaly foot snail this mag cargo was in the second generation of pokemon games that came out like a year before the scaly foot snail was discovered <laughs> whoa what like they called that shot so good can be right back looking from you too there were they were so close they were so close because it's fire rock when it should be fire that. steel because mm-hmm. steel was came out in steel. second generation yeah. or would it be rock steel it'll be it'll be, it have to be fire because it's magma so uh, i just that's looked not up fire like, no fire rock is makes sense because the idea is that it's like the magma you have slugma and you have the magma that cools down it will be rock not steel it'll be like obsidian so fire rock is all right listen but it's got the I, iron I, I, the iron it's a cool critter so I just looked yeah, up. Yeah, what they iron look is like. a rock. 
So I just looked up what they look like. And incidentally, I saw they're also called the pangolin snail or the sea oh. pangolin. So it, so it makes sense that it would also be in top my top three. three. Yeah. yeah. As yeah. they deserve. Yeah, they're great. Christian, what are your top three? I think my number three is the cassowary. That's, yes. a good one. That's a good choice. You said, is number one still the manta ray? It is. Okay, what's number two? Uh, whale shark, yeah. That, cool. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ca- cassowary is a wide diversion from your top two, though. That's interesting. It is. It's a pivot. I, I, yeah. I have to fight the urge to stay in the ocean at all times. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Christian's heart never really fully emerged from the ocean. You leave and, and you just beg Charles Darwin to throw you back. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Charles. <laughs> Send me Chuck, back. I need a solid. Walk up, you run up to Charles, Charles, and like, Chuck, 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 come in. Come <laughs> oh, in, coach. It's even in his you name. You wear, you, you wear a Marig, one of disguise. It's like, Chuck. Um, yeah, Cassowary is low key one of the scariest animals. They're I, horrifying. Yeah. I saw, oh, a, yeah. I, yeah. I studied abroad in Australia and saw a five foot tall one crossing the road once. And I'm just like, yeah, dinosaurs never went extinct. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. like we all say it, but you kind of need to see a five foot bird with velociraptor claws to yeah. to really, yeah, really, exactly. yeah, really submit they're, the idea. They're not, something else. Yeah, you're not gonna look at a little sparrow and think, oh yeah, dinosaurs are real. You look at you gotta, <laughs> you look at a cassowary and be like, oh fuck, dinosaurs are real. <laughs> yeah, the the rat types yeah. do a good job of that, except maybe the kiwi. But he's trying. Yeah. The kiwi's trying. Speaking of right. kiwis, what's uh, your favorite plant? <laughs> My kiwi. Why did you guess? I saw the segue and I'm like, I'm, t- I'm that was a this. good one. <laughs> top notch. So you want my top three? Okay. My first one, and I talk about this a lot till it's probably not fun anymore. Uh, <laughs> but I love the bristlecone pine mm-hmm. because they're wild and they're ancient. And they like have all this like genetic memory from, you know, the last ice age and before. And uh, they're just, they're fascinating plants to me. Number two. Oh gosh. I'm, I'm struggling between like number two and number three. I like, I think number two and number three for almost the same reason. Number two is like the zinnia. Uh, as a like a landscape guy, an urban like flower guy, because they'll grow anywhere. They'll grow out of gravel or a crack in the sidewalk or whatever. And they look great. They're really impressive. But then when they're done, they're just done. Like one day they're like, I look great. And I've got the, all these big flowers. And the next day they're just totally dead, which I like, I feel that. Like, I'm just done. I'm going to lay down and let the, the earth reclaim me today. That's my <laughs> that's, goal for today. The, the work week and the weekend right there. Yep, I'm just finished. And then my third favorite plant is yarrow. And I don't know if y'all know what yarrow is. It has these feathery leaves. They're native to everywhere from like South Texas all the way up into Canada and through the Rockies. And they'll grow as ground covers. You can like mow them down. They'll grow four feet tall. They grow a bunch of different colors. They're great pollinator plants and they're useful too. They're one that like, there's a a compound in there that is a, what do they call it? It's a coagulant essentially. And so the hemostat. So like indigenous peoples throughout the Americas would use them to like treat wounds and different things like that. They're really fascinating. But then like, if you eat too much of it, it just like turns your kidneys off. It's like, no, no, you're done. And so it's a fascinating plant with a lot of uses and they're great in the landscape and they're great in the wild. Solid. Uh, With the bristlecone pine, when you say that they have a lot of genetic memory, is that because the individual plants are from the last ice age or is that there's some other reason? So I guess I'm talking specifically with the pine bark beetle. 
mm-hmm. which you know has caused incredible amounts of damage as they've moved back west. So they're native to the U.S. and like throughout the Great Basin and Rockies, and then during the last ice age, they got pushed east as it got colder. Now with like global warming and climate change, they're moving quickly back into the like if you drive to like Colorado or anywhere, there's just millions of dead pine trees. Like it's it's terrible, like just naked mountainsides, you know? And these trees that even these shorter lived pines that only live a couple hundred years, which on tree scale is, you know, not that long. They've had so many generations since the beetles moved out of that range. They don't have any of the defenses, the chemical defenses, the uh, types of bark and things like that. So as these beetles move back, they're just like wiping them out like wiping them out. But there was some studies, there's a great article that came out, I think two years ago in in uh, PLOS One, that they did damage surveys on some of these long-lived pines, like the bristlecone and the limber pine and two or three others. And there's like almost no damage because they've only wow. had, they live, the oldest one we know of is called Methuselah and it's about 4,900 years old. And they think there's older ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the oldest one we found and been able to like sample. They've only had just a few generations since those beetles moved out. So they still have like the DNA memory of those chemical defenses and they haven't like evolved out yet. Oh, that's crazy. And so the beetles start to feed on them and they still have like the chemical controls and things like that that protect them from it. It's like when you wow. get kicked out of a bar and they keep your picture on the wall for like 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> That guy, he's back. Get him out. It's that, but it's a picture of the pine boar beetle. Like, uh uh, absolutely not. Not that was a perfect analogy. Yeah, (laughs) perfect. Vikram, Ellen, and Christian, where can people go to listen to your stuff? So you can find Planthropology like anywhere podcasts live. I'm on all the social media places for better or worse. I am on TikTok as at the plant prof. Uh, And if you want to hear me yell about bananas, that's where you can find me doing it (laughs) often. And uh, we're just the zoo of us. We're on all podcast platforms. We're on on the Maximum Fun Network. So you can find us on MaximumFun.org. And anywhere where you get podcasts, you can find us. We're also pretty active on social media. So we have a Facebook group, Twitter, Instagram. We have a really fun Discord server where everybody on there is super nice and fun to talk to. So yeah, you can pretty much find us on all those i ha- we have a tiktok account that i like went really hard on for like a month and then was immediately like this is too much work and i did not make any tiktoks after that <laughs> but we, i have it they're still out there yeah they're still out there floating around they were good tiktoks it's just uh not super active on there but i'd say twitter is probably where i'm most active mm-hmm. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast as well as all of the other wild green media projects across social media at patreon.com slash wild green memes. That's memes with an N. Until next time, I'm Rhett. I'm Curtis. I'm Iona. I'm Roy. And I'm Vikram. I'm Ellen. And I'm Christian. That was a record amount of people on a sign off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <it was. laughs> You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash wildgreenmemes. That's memes with an M, not memes with an S. Patrons get gifts in the mail, early episode releases, and of course, a shout out on the podcast. This week, we would like to thank Jenna Byrne, Colin Coppola, Jacob Jazabek, Kristen Tangle, Rachel Mortison, Brooklyn Gingras, Julia Brown, Kristen Swan, Beck Whirl, Jeffrey Wingard, Megan Bailey, Kimberly Sarkin, Jennifer Gorman, Callum Wallace, uh, Amanda Sellers, Cassidy Blair. Somebody seemed to keep smash their keyboard because it's not their name. <laughs> J R A Z T E A Z Tick Drastic.
It's like a Jurassic. <laughs> it's like a Jurassic Tasmanian tick. And we're not just re- reading that weird. We can see their real name here on their address, followed directly by "Use your outside voice." <laughs> Lily Thompson to R.C. Johnson. Ewan Hill. Anna McVeigh. Daniel J. Quackenbush. Holly Norton. Trinity Wilton. Laurel Brandy. Kirsten O'Brien. Becca Hanna. Megan Crump. Jordan Jackson. Dwayne Jones. Kyle Weaver. MBB. Morgan Boyer. Della Leicht. Jothan Hicks. Cassandra Abarzwa. Joe Johnson. Christy Casipio. Rathgate Reptiles. Lauren Aguilera. Jim Russell. Alyssa. Jack Graves. Elise. Matt. Kristen Love. Marissa Weinerke, Tina Mata, Katie and Biscuit, Jamie Al Fisher, Dragon Rachel, Kelly Haggett, Kelly Beerman, Casey Regnier, Alexander Phillips, Muir, Colleen Cunot, Allison Michelle Cundiff, Abigail Kimball, Krista, Alice Ogden Nussbaum, Marissa Oren, Amanda Modogno, Taylor Pinnock, Shannon O'Brien, Gabriel Kaminer, Julia Gulia, Amira Gizwask, Caitlin, 